Thank well, good you. morning. The word I've said used against me up till this point. Thanks. Thanks for waiting till then. Evidence <laughs> 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 and some losses later. Oh well, thanks for being here, guys. As uh, some more people are rolling in, we'll go ahead and get started with service this morning. Um, and uh, of course, I wanted to uh, remind you that we'll be taking communion in the service. So grab elements of whatever's around um, for uh, Max to be leading us a little bit later here. Um, and also, we are uh, just starting Advent uh, this Sunday. And, um, and so for the next four Sundays leading up to Christmas, um, we will be uh, talking about uh, hope, faith, joy, and love. And um, Advent's such an interesting time um, because it's one of the things that is part of the liturgical calendar that most churches participate in, regardless of what your background or tradition is. Um, and, uh, and it's, you know, this expectation and this um, um, anticipation and anticipation, thank you, um, of, uh, of the coming of Christ into the world, not just a remembering of, of Jesus being born 2,000 years ago, but a continued coming of Christ and Christ's return. So that looks different ways, and in a church like ours, um, especially, it's about the way that we grow to embody Christ in ourselves and in the world and, uh, and seeking um, kind of a more full kingdom of God here in this space and a, a transformation of the world and, and whatever that means, however we understand that. I'm always excited as we do uh, Advent and we go through these four themes for the next four Sundays, um, how relevant it is and how much focusing on those same things is so impactful for what it means for us to do this faith journey together. So thank you for doing all of that and being a part of this journey of faith at Central. Um, this morning as we uh, open, um, I'm going to share a prayer from Reverend Anna Blydell from Enfleshed. Um, to kick off this Advent season for us. And, uh, and then we're going to light uh, an Advent candle, which we'll be doing next week uh, in person for the next three Sundays of Advent. Um, let's pray. Season of Advent, active preparation, radical play and sacred pretendings, we practice the future, making the impossible possible with the fearlessness of children, unrestrained by the state, uh, the stale logic of what is. A divine invitation extends, do not be afraid. Try on dreams of tomorrow. Experiment with and for each other, moving together imaginatively in conflict, in rest, in material distribution. We play until practice makes possible. Counterperformance constructs a counter-reality. Community prepares the way. This is the time to try on the world to come. 
to bring it close, one small ordinary practice at a time. Practice, practice, practice. Neither a new way nor a new world will come to us all at once, not quickly, not without failures, not without patience and determination, but through holy repetition, radical rituals of hope and curiosity, of learning and unlearning, mending and repairing, inventing alternative habits of power that construct life anew. Divinity takes on flesh. Salvation draws near. And so, today we'll light the first candle of Advent, the candle of hope. Today we light this candle of hope. May it remind us of a hope that transforms. So hear these words from Isaiah 2, which is traditionally this passage about hope in this Advent season. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction for the world and the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. He shall arbitrate for many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. God of hope, during this Advent season, may we be reminded of the hope that we have in you. Shine your light on the story of the saints who journeyed before us. May the seeds that they've planted in this world, peace, joy, and love, take hold in our hearts and stretch us towards the light. We long for you to break through with compassion, justice, and peace. Amen. Thanks, Bob. <clears throat> um, well, as Bob noted, we will be taking communion together as we always do. So uh, feel free to grab your elements if you still haven't done so. Um, I'm, I'll be reading a Advent liturgy for communion. Um, and we'll start off by a call and response. I'll put it in the chat. And the one with the double asterisk is the response. The one without is the part I'll read. So feel free to, to follow along, read along, say it out loud if you want. Uh, feel free to unmute um, so we can hear the cacophony of, of voices on Zoom as we often do. Um, and then I'll read a prayer uh, to finish the communion blessing. And then we'll take communion together. All right. With that. Let's pray. 
May you know that the God of comfort is with you. And may you see may God, of, God, hope God you. of hope with you. Open wide our anxious hearts. We open, we open them to, to God's God. peace. Let us give thanks and share our joy. In this, in this space, space and time, and time we, we offer God our love God praise. Of praise. The dawn of hope rests on the horizon, and beams of love reach our doubting hearts. We celebrate the newness of this season, waiting to see how the Christ will appear in our world. Even in our despair, a glimmer of hope reaches into our twilight, beckoning us to breathe and wait. Our story tells us that the Christ child whose birth we anticipate will one day sit at tables with strangers and friends, building relationships filled with love and grace. We see this as he fed the multitude, turned water into wine, and ate with dear ones the night before his death. He took the bread, blessed it, and broke it. Eat in remembrance of me, he said. He took the cup and in his blessing reminded them that when they sipped from the fruit of the vine to drink in remembrance of him. Jesus, the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, light of the world, the word of life, no matter how we call him or what we know him as, he is our hope, our peace, our joy, and our love. May the Spirit bless us and these elements as we commune to remember him. And I invite you to take the elements now. I have Cheez-Its today, classic choice in the Waddell household. And uh, whatever you have is the bread and your cup, take it now. And so for the nourishment of spirit, mind, and body, for hope that we begin to see, and for the comfort from the Prince of Peace, we share our gratitude, gracious God. Encourage us in these shortened days, through the long nights of this season, may your hope carry us until dawn arrives again. Amen. Thank you for that, Max. Um, all right, so we only have a couple announcements today. Um, we will be de decorating the church in person on December 4th at 10.30 a.m. So if you're interested in helping us pull out all the decorations, and I think Bob used to call it greening the church, um, we're gonna be doing that. Um, and then the next day, we'll, we will be there in person for the service. Um, and if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you there. All right, thank you. Thanks, Angie. So prayer requests, words of thanksgiving. Um, now is your opportunity to raise your voice. Uh, you can unmute or put, put whatever you want in the chat column, and I'll do my best to see that. But does anybody have anything they want to share this morning or have prayed about? Some weeks, not so much. Um, Max, I, I'll turn it over to you now, once again. I'll say something. Hey, yeah, go ahead, Emily. Uh, my cousin was one of those not 
like unvaccinated, she's unvaccinated, right? Uh, and she caught COVID and took it home to her entire family um, at a retreat for her job. And my uncles had a quadruple bypass and multiple heart attacks. And so yeah. it's not, not a good situation. So we're in one of those, one of those, you know, non-believing people not getting vaccinated and then taking it home to someone who might not be able to recover so much from it. So just prayers for all of them, but especially yeah. my uncle. Yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of that happening, right? Yeah. Um, let's pray. Loving God, we lift up this, this deep concern Emily has for her uncle and that part of her family that has been exposed to the virus. And um, we pray for, especially for her, for her uncle's well-being, um, his physical well-being in particular, as he's recently gone through uh, heart surgery or, or quadruple bypass. We pray for his health and well-being. We pray for an entire family that's unvaccinated and exposed. Um, we lift them up and may hearts and minds be changed, um, perhaps even as a result of this. Uh, and may, may more people take the health and safety of others around them more seriously and get vaccinated. In Jesus' name we pray and hope. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Sure. Anybody else this morning? Right. Well, with Max, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks. Can you guys hear me all right? Okay, good. I switched over my AirPods due to uh, melting down children in the background. So sometimes they get distorted when I join a Zoom meeting in the middle. They sound like an Android. So um, uh, today I have, uh, it's, it's a um, poetic reading set to music. Um, that some of you might be familiar with. I think uh, we might have done some version of it at church when it first came out. It's from 2015. Um, and you will notice some references that are from 2015. It was about that year specifically. But I listened to it recently, and it also struck me how uh, many of the topics um, and the themes and the, and the um, issues um, that it raises and prays for uh, are so very relevant even today. And so um, in some ways that's discouraging. Um, in some ways it's, it's, it's frustrating to see six years go by um, and not a lot of progress in some areas. And in other ways, it is encouraging to me um, that um, there is a thread of the people of God or you know, the people um, who want to see the world a better place um, um, fighting for it and working towards it and staying um, uh, committed to seeing that realized. Um, I think as the old biblical phrase go, keep the hand on the plow, right? Um, keep going, um, even though the work is hard and breaks our bodies um, and our minds. Um, so I, I think it's a perfect uh, reading. It's an Advent reading. Um, also in that itself, right, in the, in the realization of how far or how not far we've come in six years, in itself is the Advent message um, that Christ, right, in some manner has come into the world. And yet we still wait. Um, we still work. We still toil um, in the winter right, of trying to realize a new and better world while living in the reality of the broken, messed up world that we do. So 
um, I hope you enjoy it. It's called Advent for Weary Souls. Um, it's featuring the, the poet is Amina Brown and it has some music by Gunger uh, in the background. Um, so I'll play it now. Tears and sorrow, watching our world. This year has brought us tears and sorrow, watching our world. But the very ground beneath us tremble with fear and racism and death and hate. So many questions without answers. So many mothers who have had to bury their children. We cannot unplug from the noise of news. Our world is being torn at its seams by the tug of war, finding it difficult to make or keep peace. The fight for human rights, the fear of disease, the violence of militants' lives are being snuffed and stolen. Typhoons, airstrikes, open fire. This year, nearly 300 girls were kidnapped in Nigeria while getting an education, and most of them have still not returned home. The protests in Venezuela, China, Mexico, Ukraine are the same as the protests happening in New York, Chicago, LA, Atlanta, Ferguson. Our cities and towns are at an unrest. As we wrestle with the violence of lone gunmen, immigration, race relations, as we watch our neighborhoods turn into war zones, we don't hear the wounds. We just take sides and divide to find our us so we can accuse them. We have stopped listening. We find ourselves with angry fists in what is supposed to be the season of giving. There have been breaches in our confidence and trust. We have lost our ability to mourn with those who mourn, to see injustice with disgust, and our Facebook statuses turn into the worst kind of soapbox and pulpit. Hashtag bring back our girls, Ebola, ice bucket challenge. Hashtag I can't breathe, why I stayed, Renisha McBride, Occupy Hong Kong. Hashtag Black Lives Matter, Gaza under attack, yes, all women. Hashtag break the internet, take down that post, MH370. Hashtag pray for South Korea, MH17, hands up, don't shoot, until our souls need a ceasefire. Sometimes it's hard to light the candle and drape the tinsel when Christmas seems to not unwrap gifts but wounds, reminding us of the people we've lost, of the things that have been stolen, of despair, of grieving the kind of sadness a Christmas carol can't seem to shake. And what do we do with this baby? This savior, whose arrival had no celebrity, no red carpet, no paparazzi, just Mary and Joseph and manger animals and stars to lead wise men. What does this Jesus have to do with our brokenness and wounds? What does he have to say when the plot lines of our life don't wrap up cleanly like a Christmas tune? This Jesus is not just a baby. He is the radical revolutionary who came to do the saving, who spoke uncomfortable truth to the narrow-minded religious, who turned over tables for justice, who used his voice to speak for children, orphans, widows, who became freedom for the oppressed. Yes, he wanted us to know peace so badly that he sacrificed himself so we could realize we are not us versus them. We are us with him, us who want to walk and love and serve like him, fight against injustice and poverty with him. Let's listen to those who are hurting, mourn with those who are weeping. Let's do what we hear the angels singing for love, for peace, for goodwill, for all humanity this Advent. May Jesus teach a weary world and our weary souls to fight for justice and someday live in peace.
this year has. Well, there you go. Amen. I'll drop that link uh, in the chat. All right. Thanks, Max. Our text today, this first Sunday of Advent, is Mary's song from Luke 1, or it's also known the Magnificat. Mary is telling her cousin Elizabeth about her pregnancy, and she exclaims with great joy, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, to his descendants forever. The word of the Lord. Today we're talking about hope this first Sunday of Advent, as that's the traditional theme. <clears throat> and we're trying to answer the question or address the question, what is the hope of Advent? Notice Mary's hope had nothing to do with the afterlife. The salvation and redemption she was hoping for apparently had nothing to do with gaining eternal life or you know, mansions on high and everlasting rewards and the sweet by and in the sweet by and by. You know, nor does she mention, you know, heaven. She she wasn't hoping and longing to be saved from the wrath of God and eternal burning in hell. Uh, you know, such ideas never, never even crossed her mind, apparently, when she thought about the hope she and others had uh, and that this child within her would fulfill. No, she was, she was longing and hoping for justice and peace on earth. She was hoping in a God who will, in her own words, scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and bring down the mighty from their thrones and lift up the lowly, fill the hungry with good things, and then send the rich away empty. That was her hope. You know, this was the hope she and her contemporaries were harboring. This, this was the advent uh, they were looking, that they, that they were celebrating, right? Advent means to wait with, with eager expectation. This was the advent they were keeping. They were hoping for the establishment of God's will and ways in the social structures of the world, a.k.a. the kingdom of God. And that's the kind of God they got in Jesus. The question is, are we longing and hoping for, are we, are we waiting for, holding Advent for the same God? Whose, whose nativity exactly are we celebrating? What kind of Advent are we really observing? It's amazing to me, and profoundly sad in some ways, that I was raised in the church, like so many of you, and heard countless Christmas sermons over the years, and never heard once, not, not once, this understanding of the gospel. In fact, I didn't, even know, I didn't even know what the Magnificat was until, I don't know, five years ago, 10 years ago, when you know, we went through all this deconstruction and transformation. Um, you know, I, I, was in, I was in my 30s in seminary before I heard this understanding of the gospel. 
It, it's a tragedy. Instead, I was hearing sermon after sermon at Christmas time about how Jesus came to die for our sins so that we could go to heaven when we die, so that we could go to heaven and not hell. So, such an understanding of the gospel, I think, would have been totally alien to Mary and her contemporaries, including to Jesus himself. So the hope of Advent, the hope of the incarnation, is really about a hope for this life and this world, I think. Uh, a hope that peace and justice might be established on the earth, especially for the so-called least of these. But for me, this, this hope, now I'm speaking for myself here, all right? For me, this hope isn't a kind of naive hope or a kind of um, utopian idealism. I don't think there will ever be some messianic age where perfect peace and justice will reign supreme and we won't have to struggle anymore for for these things. The world will always be imperfect and our work will never be done, in my opinion. I know that runs contrary to pop popular Christian eschatology. Eschatology means the last things or the final things. And within Christianity, eschatology pertains to the second coming or the messianic age foretold in, in various parts of the New Testament. Christians have always interpreted these prophecies in different ways. One of those ways is called uh, millennialism, which sees the messianic age as symbolic of the church age, meaning this time, here and now. So I, I hold what you what you could call an amillennial view, but a pretty extreme version of it, I guess you could say. Um, I no longer believe in a literal second coming where Jesus will float down out of the sky or, or ride in on the clouds of glory and, and, and you know, float down and, and, and set up his literal reign on earth from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And from there, you know, sit on a throne and, and, and establish perfect peace and tranquility on the earth and eliminate all evil and suffering and death for the rest of time. I, I just can't get there anymore. This is me speaking personally. Instead, I... I understand the second coming and the messianic age as a hope for the here and now. And I understand this hope through the twin sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. In both sacraments, I think, we become Christ in the world. In the Lord's Supper, which we practice here every week, you know, we, we consume the body and blood of Jesus as a way of saying that Christ now lives in us. We have integrated his body into our body. It's like the old saying, uh, forgive the crassness, but you know, you are what you eat. Th this is a similar, th th there's a similar meaning, I think, to baptism. In baptism, we are immersed in water and then return to the surface as a way of saying that we are crucified, buried, and raised with Christ. We are now the risen Christ in the world. Christ is resurrected in us as a holy ghost. At least that's how I understand these sacraments. I realize there are different understandings, but those are mine. And they certainly uh, are part of historical Christianity. But I, but I take this to mean that we are the second coming. We are the messianic age. When we create communities of love and, and justice and peace, when we live in right relationship to each other, we are ushering in the kingdom of God. We, we, are, we are ushering the kingdom of God into existence. We are inaugurating the kingdom of God on earth. We are answering Jesus' famous prayer. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. 
on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to answer that prayer. Jesus was praying to God, but he was looking at us when he, when he said that, which means he was really praying to us, I think. You know, who knew that God's prayed in the first place? You know, I, I thought we only prayed, but apparently God's do too. At least in Christianity, they pray. In Christianity, we're told that God prays and weeps over us, hoping and praying to us that we might actually be his hands and feet in the world and make him real. In other words, everything ultimately depends upon us. We are the ultimate responsible party, not God. Like Mary, the mother of Jesus, we have to decide if God will be born into the world. God cannot enter the world any other way, but through us, we must give him life. We must give him form. Otherwise, God has no life or form, it seems to me. God has tied his destiny to ours. God, it seems, would have it no other way. This means that we are the hope of the world. We are the light of the world, as Jesus himself said. I'm, I think I'm just following these, these ideas to their natural conclusion or to their ultimate conclusion, to their deepest meaning. Again, I realize that's not a popular understanding in the church, uh, but I'm certainly not the first Christian to hold those views, nor am I the only one who does so today. And for me, this makes my faith more practical and about how I live here and now rather than about you know getting into heaven when I die. And my purpose here isn't to diminish or to take away anyone's faith in the afterlife or anyone's hope in the afterlife. I actually, if I'm honest, I still harbor that hope. But it's but it's not the focus, uh, it's it's not the focus it used to be for me anymore. Instead, my hope uh, is is an earthly kind of hope. But again, it isn't a kind of utopian idealism. I don't think, I don't believe that there will ever be some age of perfect peace on earth where justice will, will reign supreme and we won't have to struggle anymore for these things. The world, I think, will always be imperfect and our work will never be done. But in that so-called hopelessness, some might see it as hopeless, I don't. In that so-called hopelessness, I find a deeper hope, a hope that we can make things better even if it's just a little bit better. And, and why can't that be good enough for us? I, I know it's a cliche illustration, but I think about it quite often. This illustration about a boy walking along a beach with thousands of stranded starfish, starfish on it, you know, all dying in the hot sun. As he walks along, he throws back the few that he can, throws them back into the sea, knowing that he can't save them all, or even most of them. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it's a practically meaningless gesture, right? But it matters to the ones he saves. And I don't know another way to live. Every good thing we do in life, every good thing we do in life is, is a practically meaningless gesture in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of human suffering, and in the grand scheme of the frailty of life and the vast expanse of history. Everything we do is a mere drop in the bucket but we do it anyway. We love anyway. We fight for justice anyway. We create beauty anyway, because it matters to this person and to that person. In a way, one person is, is a universe all to themselves. One person has a kind of infinite value and meaningfulness about them, it seems to me. So if we can make just one person's life a little better. If we can make just one corner of the world a little better, I think we've actually done something 
something great, something monumental. We've moved heaven and earth. And that's something I take great hope in and find a lot of inspiration in. And I think perhaps you can too. You know, think of this being like the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of the mustard seed in, uh, in Mark chapter four. Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what, what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed. Which when, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs. In other words, the little things are really the big things. A little bit of faith or a little bit of hope or a little bit of love can go a very long way. This, this is how we are to think, it seems to me. This is how we are to live. It seems to me we are to be mustard seed people and believe in the power of the so-called little things like love and hope. And besides, you know, terms like big and small are relative terms anyway. What is big? What is small? Who gets to judge that? Now, how much of an impact on the world is a meaningful impact? How much of a difference is a meaningful difference? And who gets to decide? I think we should let go of these arbitrary value judgments that we often get from you know, our capitalistic society, right? Measuring everything by you know, numbers, so to speak, right? I think we should let go of these arbitrary value judge judgments and just do the best we can where we're at with the time and the resources we have and with those the Lord has given us. This to me is a deeper kind of hope. Maybe that sounds like a kind of hopelessness to some because, you know, I'm not thinking big enough or, you know, nor do I believe in any kind of future utopia where, where the world will be perfect. But that's the best I can do. And again, why, why can't that be enough? Peter Rollins puts it this way, and I'll finish with this. There's a, there's a kind of utopian thinking among both conservatives and progressives that needs to be resisted. Conservatives tend to believe that if we can just return to the values and ideals of some idyllic past, you know, then we can achieve lasting harmony, peace, and prosperity. Utopia is in the past, we're told. We got to make America great again. Progressives, on the other hand, tend to believe in a kind of future utopia that can only be found by letting go of the past, thus the term progressive. They tend to believe that progress is the key to lasting harmony in peace. Utopia is in some idyllic future of progress. But there's a third way to be that doesn't buy into either group's utopianism, but rather finds hope and joy in the struggle itself for a better world, while accepting that the struggle, the struggle will never end and an ideal world will never be. Hope and joy, therefore, is found in the endless struggle itself for justice, peace, etc. In other words, a better world is found in the struggle itself for a better world. It's like the old adage, the journey is the destination. And in this, I take great hope. Hopefully you can too. And with that, uh, I want to open it up for dialogue or discussion. And I'd love to hear your reaction to my understanding of hope or my eschatology. Um, I want to hear also maybe, you know, what, what gives you hope, if anything, today? Um, what, what helps you find some, some hope?
hopeful bunch this morning. Uh, I'm including myself in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I was just going to say, uh, um, I was just having a conversation last night with Karis and her, uh, her little sister, Lauren is, uh, has been with us for Thanksgiving, um, about our parents and just, and, and other family members too, but just the conversations of like growth that we've seen, even, even amidst the ongoing frustrations and right. And the disappointments and all that stuff, being able to identify, Hey, you know, like, if we had such and such conversation right 10 years ago, that would have ended in tears, but now we can actually talk about that. Right. And now we can actually say, Hey, I I'm in a different place than you on this. And I'd be able to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, but it was just sort of a reflection that, that we were like, you know, when you do zoom out like that, it is easier to see the hope. Right. Um, it, it's, I mean, sometimes it's, it still feels impossible, but like when you zoom out and remember that, Hey, today is not, doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right. And people have brought everything that their own histories have put on them into this moment. And you've brought all your own stuff into this moment. And, uh, you know, it just feels very myopic when, when you're in it, but then when you kind of pause and reflect and be like, Hey, we're people who, who are growing and there are people who are growing, right? And there are people who, even if they don't get it right, uh, are trying to get it right. Um, and, and that <laughs> yeah. might be a very uh, um, small silver lining. But that in itself of like, hey, there are good people, um, even the ones that we disagree with that are trying to learn. It's just really hard. Yeah. Um, and I, I think especially these days, Right. It's hard for anyone to do basic stuff. It feels just because of everything that's um, going on in our lives. Um, but we, we took hope in that, I would say, in that there is hope and it, and it comes slower than you'd like. Um, but 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 it there can be movement and redemption and improvement and growth. Yeah, thanks, Max. It's good. Other thoughts about hope today. I'm, I'm curious to also hear, how has your eschatology changed during your deconstruction, if at all, you know, because a lot of this Christian hope that we talk about is based in, you know, how we imagine kind of this trajectory of history and, and how does our, our Christian hope, so to speak, you know, you know, how, how is, how does that work for us? You know, what do we see as teleologically, I guess, was the end game of, of, of our Christian hope? What is it? You know how, and I'm curious how your eschatology has changed as a result of your journey as a Christian. Maybe that's a good way to structure it as well. Diana was surprised that I said I didn't have anything to say, but now I have something to say. So we're back on track. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting because when you say the whole thing about hope and how it's changed. Um, I feel like hope in the old way that I used to be in the fundamental, you know, born again, I felt like the hope was, was actually fear and it wasn't hope at all. Yeah. So it's interesting now to actually have hope and be like, oh, <laughs> this is what it is, because I feel like being hopeful in Christianity allows you to be objective when you look at the world rather than the fear sort of makes you judgmental of the rest of the world. So you're like, yeah. well, you're not doing it right. And you're not, but when you're hopeful, you're like, 
I just want this hope for people, for others, the way that I have it. And I think the best way to do that is to love and, you know, all the things that you talked about. It's like all the little small things like, yeah, you can't change the world, but you can start with these, you know, each person day by day. Um, so yeah, it's, that's what I thought about when you brought that up. Uh, I really like that. Yeah. Trading, trading fear for hope and, and how so much of the way that we thought about hope prior was really based in a kind of fear. I really like that. That's really good. Thank you. I really like what you said about the difference between conservatives and progressives. It really reminds me to like stay in the moment. It's like um, not saying there's going to be some future utopia that might never come. You know, just like um, doing the best to make that utopia now, instead of waiting for Jesus to come back and new heaven and new earth, and you know. Um, yeah, staying in the moment, living day by day. And um, like what you said about that thing, um, what was it, walking along the beach and yeah. things in the ocean? <clears throat> yeah, the starfish, like, the starfish illustration. Have you heard that before, yeah. Andy? No, no, that's the first oh, okay. time. <clears throat> that's great because, um, you know, you can make a difference in just one person's life. You don't have to, like, um, worry about doing enough or not enough, just being there for one person, <clears throat> showing yeah. them love. Really brings a new perspective on things. It's great. Yeah. And, and for me personally, as a pastor of, you know, a pastor in this community, you know, we're this tiny community and sometimes, you know, it can feel like, are we really doing enough? And I'm kind of like, yeah, we, we are. I mean, we, we've made over the last 10 years. I mean, we look at it even over the span of like a decade for how long we've been doing this, how many lives that have been touched. I mean, I'm just speaking personally now as my, you know, my experience, you know, you know helping lead this community. Um, you know, there's always that temptation, I guess, you know, because of our society, you know, is so capitalistic, you know, like we measure everything in metrics of like attendance and cash and, you know, how many people, you know, we measure our success also, you know, as, as progressives quite often, like how much of a difference are we really making in the world? You know, it's about elections and, you know, and it's kind of like, well, maybe if we're actually able to, you know, change things, even like just for a few people, maybe that can be seen as monumental. I mean, I don't know. I, I just feel like we need to change kind of the way we think as Westerners about some of this stuff too, you know? Um, anyway, I, I'm saying a lot there, but yeah. Thanks, Randy. I'm glad that that resonated with you. Other thoughts today about all this? Hey, it's Akila here. Um, hey, Akila. I actually have a lot to say about this, but I'll try to be really brief. Um, one of the... Um, so, at, you know, at my, at my last church, I actually did a sermon writing class and I wrote a sermon on the uh, story of Ezekiel and the dry bones. Really? Like, yeah. And so one of the things when I was um, doing that, because I, I found that story really interesting. I haven't really, I don't even think I really knew the story, but part of it is, um, or what I understood it is that um, we get hope from the hope of others. So it's not so much. So even if my hope is all gone, I can look at you and see that you're hopeful and that can give me hope. That's great. And, um, and one of the other, and I wrote that right after the Pulse shooting in Orlando 
Um, and one of the things too, it was like, you know, here's another horrible mass shooting. Here's another tragedy. Um, and it's like tragedy on tragedy on tragedy. And how can we find hope in those times? And, um, and so what I really got was that the, the, um, you know, we find hope by looking at the hope of others, but also looking at the good others bring to the world. So then it's like, oh, you know, there is good, even though it does seem small in the face of this tragedy, there is a lot of good that we can see when all these other people are rallying together or they're fighting for things or they do that. So even if I'm in despair, I can look at the hope that say you, Aaron, have and that can uplift me and give me more hope. Um, and the, the other thing I was gonna say is I just find it interesting too um, that often this is a, another thing, especially thinking about the black church tradition and you know the role of Christianity, especially in our slavery and all these different times where these are like the most hopeless, devastating situations. And I remember, I remember Nikki Giovanni saying, we have a different relationship with the church and with religion now than our ancestors did. But mm -hmm. at the same time, if we think about it, they were able to survive the most horrible conditions by finding something in those biblical stories to hold on to. And they were able to look past the... Um, I can't remember exactly how she put it, but it was something about like, it's like going to space. Like you don't actually know what's out there or what's coming next, but you can focus on something that gets you over it. And so thinking about that, I think, yeah, that's the story. That's the story of hope. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, talking about the, um, the effects that we have, you know, it's Christmas time. It's a wonderful life season. Like that whole story is about how we don't know the effects we have on other yes. people. Yes, yes. And so. Great movie. We're often very short-sighted in terms of the impact that we have because we literally do not know. And yeah. so if we are putting goodness into the world, if we are caring about our neighbor, if we are caring about people, it does carry out in ways that we have no earthly concept of and we could never know. So that's it. Oh, that was beautiful. I got to get you to, I got to get you to preach that sermon <laughs> here one day. That's, that's awesome. Um, you gave me so many thoughts. That is, that is so profound. I, I wanted to mention last night I was watching Nomadland again on uh, Hulu. Have you seen Nomadland folks? Um, did it win an Academy Award? I, I can't remember. But anyway, critically acclaimed. There's a scene in it where um, one of the nomads, of course, living in her van, you know, she's got terminal cancer and uh, was talking to Fern about how she found incredible meaning and a kind of wholeness in kayaking in this river in front of this, this cliff of swallows who, you know, the swallows are flying in out of their nests and these and a shower of little white shells were coming down as the swallows were hatching and the shells were, were floating in the water and uh, around her. And in those moments, she found such profound joy that she felt like she could die and feel whole or feel like she lived a good life just in that. And it seems bizarre to think that way, you know, like how did kayaking in that river in front of that cliff full of swallows, like, but I think, I think there's something in it. I was thinking about that last night and how I've had experiences where the simple 
simple feelings of gratitude for little things or feeling overcome with awe or feeling overwhelmed with a, with a, with a feeling of love for somebody else has brought to me a sense of I could die now and feel and feel like I live good. And, and it's, I guess what I'm saying is hope isn't that hard. We, we think often that, oh, to have hope, you've got to really, things really got to be good and you got to, you know, things have to work out, you know, greatly, you know, what's the point of having hope unless, you know, we're talking about huge things in the world, right? But no, you can find hope and, and a kind of joy um, and a kind of even, uh, and even a kind of wholeness in these kind of simple beauties. And anyway, that's how I feel about it. And last night, watching Nomadland kind of reminded me of that. Um, I think there's something really true about our humanity there. And um, anyway, I find I find great hope in in, in that anecdote and, and in those truths and in my own experience. I don't know. Does that ring, does that ring true to anybody? Do you guys ever, does, does that resonate? <laughs> I think it, anyway. Well, that made me think about something that I always found interesting because I feel like it's always about conservatives and liberals for me because my family is in such, sure. you know, you're either on one side or the other, there's no real in between. Um, but I feel like now that you're talking about like the arts, like finding beauty in storytelling or, um, you know, like movies and all the creative things, like my mother and my father and my aunts and like all these people like don't, find beauty in those things they think that the storytelling is too liberal and it's this rather than focusing on like what what it is and what do you love about that or what how does it make you feel I feel like the feeling there's a lack of feeling there or or emotion that they sort of allow themselves because I feel like in conservatism you have to sort of build up this like everything we do is wrong. You know what I mean? Like everything that we, the liberals believe, you know, racism doesn't exist. Well, you're not the one being racism against. So why are you even talking out of turn like this? How would you know? You know what I mean? Unless you talk to people who experience it. But I just feel like there's a lack of compassion. And I feel like that's one of the biggest messages that we in the church should really be having I mean, always like that's like the uh, like I feel like that's the foundation should be compassion. And when you lose that, I feel like that keeps you out of touch with other people. And then it doesn't really bring you together. It really does polarize you and it takes you out of having that human connection with either nature or someone's story that's being told through a movie, you know, like Nomadland. It's like you just. I feel like there's a loss of, and that's sad for me to look at people that I love that don't, that lack that ability to connect. Yeah. I I hear you saying, correct me if I'm wrong. I I hear you saying like when, when you're in that kind of fundamentalist, you know, worldview, you in, in a sense kind of give up some of your humanity because you're, you're saying that things like empathy and compassion really aren't enough, but rather it's this other world belief in heaven on high and, you know, dodging hell and getting into heaven and this kind of otherworldly stuff that really comes to define who you are instead of these base human aspects of compassion and empathy that actually is where we find meaning and hope and our, our humanity, really. And, and I, at least that's what I hear you saying, that there's this trade-off that happens there. Well, yeah. 
And it's, you know, Jesus became human, right? Like why did he become human so that he could understand on a human level, what humans were dealing with so that he could be with them on that level and show them the, basically the meaning of humanity and what our jobs are here on earth. And I feel like, yeah, when you have the minutia of all the crap that you just said, you really lose the ability to see because now you're clouded from all the stuff that you're supposed to be doing or, you know what I mean? And yeah. you lose what you're really supposed to be doing, which is having compassion and giving love and forgiving and, you know, all the important things that they don't do, you know? Yeah. And, and, and as Randy has put it, uh, it's it's about living in the present and you can't really be present unless you're fully invested in right. compassion and empathy. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, in a way, religion is a way of, often is a way of not living in the present and, and living in abstraction and living in another, literally living in another world, trying mm-hmm. to live in another world other than this one, trying to live in another body other than this one, you know, trying to ascend into the heavens quite often and, and leaving this world behind you know, when uh, rooting ourselves here, living in the present means living fully into compassion and empathy and sharing each other's lives. And that for me is hopeful and, and beautiful and, and right. kind of the depth dimension. But yeah, no, that's really good. Thank you, Emily. I, I, that's what I heard you saying. Yeah. Beautiful. Hey, Aaron. Um, yeah, hey. So a, a number of these things definitely resonated with me. I was just trying to figure out how to articulate how uh, to your original question about how hope has changed for me, mm. uh, you know, in my deconstruction and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I found that, you know, to me, like hope and fear feel like two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. There's this, there's this um, hope a lot of times I feel like indicates this sort of inherent dissatisfaction with life as it is, you know what I mean? And, and can lead to a lot of suffering, you know what I mean? Because you're, 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 you know, whether you know it or not, you're setting these expectations that things will be better or that every, you know, I'll, I'll be healthy or so-and-so will be well or, or that society will work itself out or, you know, and I think it's, an, it's, it's a kind of, in some ways, especially in, in the conservative circles, it's, it's a way of like putting your head in the sand you know, and, and, and ignoring the truth of the way life is and instead of embracing it. And, and I know we've talked a lot about this a lot, but I've almost found, I think it's kind of almost like a Buddhist teaching as well. Like I've, I've found a lot of peace in this idea of uh, abandoning hope and mm-hmm. that that is in a lot of ways a, an affirmation and a, it, it, I could see how, especially coming from a conservative side, that that could be like, what are you talking about? Abandoning hope. That sounds like the worst thing ever. But to me, I actually find it as a freeing and liberating, you know, sort of thing that allows me to embrace the world for what it is and, and all of its joys and its ugliness. And, and I think to what a lot of people have said about, about embracing the now, you know, embracing um, um, and truth of, of the life and the world that we live in and, and, because, because I realized, I think at the end of the day, I didn't really actually need that hope. I, I didn't really need it to carry on. I didn't need it to, because of course I want things to be better. You know what I mean? I want things to be, you know, I want to be able to help people and, and, and I want to be, you know, a light in this world for whatever that, whatever that means. And I, and I guess I realized I didn't need this idyllic idea of, 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 of a future uh, to help me carry on, you know what I mean? That, that having that love and empathy and compassion for one another was enough 
to drive me forward, you know what I mean? And hoping for the best, all while not ignoring the truth of the present, if that makes sense. I don't know if I don't know if I was able to articulate myself well. No, that's kind of I think you me, did. To me, abandoned abandoned hope is is <laughs> I almost feel like I would replace that on my refrigerator, you know what I mean, as a slogan. It, and you know, but I see it as a as a good thing. You know what I mean? I see I see it as a as a as a thing that, you know. Anyway, hopefully that makes sense. No, yeah. Hopefully it makes sense. Yeah. I I think that's I think there's something there. I, I think I, I think when we give up this idea that the world owes us something, right? That that or that life owes us something, um, that we can learn to live more in gratitude for the little things and find yeah. a kind of depth in them. I, that's what I hear you saying. I, I don't think yeah. you're a hopeless, uh, nihilistic, <laughs> despair-filled no. person. I, I think in no. a way you've you've let go of this idea that God or the world or the universe owes owes us something. And that way we kind of learn to embrace the beautiful, the, the beauty and the little things, sharing a meal with friends, you know, this yeah. moment here and now with each other um, and find a kind of infinite depth in, in the simple beauties of life. And because there is infinite depth in those things, right. if we look for it, you know, like, like right. again, in nomad land, that, that talk, you know, the, that 80 year old woman dying of cancer, finding, you know, wholeness in kayaking in that river and, and having that moment with the sparrows. And right. there's a, there, there's, there's a kind of infinite beauty to these things if or ultimate value to these things um right. if, if we look for it and if we let go of this idea that the world or the universe or god owes us something greater or I, I, you know what i mean um right. I, obviously you do yeah but or that's that, what i'm that, saying then that's what yeah I or that or that discontent with discontentment with myself or with life and others you know in 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 the moment thinking that you know i'm not um you know, the things ha were better or the things will be better. It's kind of like, well, you're, but you're missing the fact that this is life and yeah. this is, this is, this is the way it is. You know what I mean? Or that yeah. this is the way it's always been. And, and, uh, and always the way it always will be, but that's okay. You yeah. know what I mean? But that, but that this longing or this hoping for this abstract idea of something that was better or that will be better, whatever this idea is that you have of, you know, I think a lot of times it's, it's, better to let go of some of those expectations or those ideals and stick to your, you know, your compass of empathy and compassion. And, and like you said, in the broad scheme of things, you know, throwing that one starfish into the water, what does it do in the broad scheme of things? But really, even those small things matter, you know what I mean? That, that, that the meaning and purpose, you know, comes out of, you know, even the little things that we do. Um, yeah. So anyway, thanks. Beautiful thoughts. Thank you. Anybody else? Akila, again, I'll just, I have one thing to say, I think, but it might be three. And I'll try to keep it brief again. No, it's great. Uh, yeah, one, um, so what, what you said reminded me, I have a story about the movie, which I haven't seen, but, um, yeah, I got a chance to see a meteor shower once, which was very cool. And, um, and you know, and it, it filled me with this great sense of awe, right? Like seeing something like that, that's so awesome. And I like sitting and looking at the ocean, which of course, as we know, you can't see the end of the ocean, right? Like it's just there. And what both of those things did was kind of like right size me. Like it's like, oh, I'm this, this tiny person in this vast universe. Like there's all this stuff that, I can't explain, a friend of mine had posted something about, I guess NASA posted something about galaxies and here's our little galaxy. And she was like, 
you know, I'm going through all this, whatever I'm going through. And this is just like a little reminder of in the grand scheme of things, look how minuscule it all is. Um, and I say that because I think um, for me that also, when we think about hope, it's just like, wow, look how big the world is. It's more than just this moment. And there's more to it that I can't understand, which also does give me hope, Yeah, I guess, in a way. Um, and then the second thing is, I don't remember what we were talking about. I don't know what made it come up, but um, The Good Place, which I don't think you've seen yet, Aaron. but I, I've seen half of it. <laughs> okay. But like one of the central questions is what do we owe each other? And that's kind of the thing of like what makes a good place is what do we owe each other and what's our responsibility to each other, yeah. which I think goes back to our earlier conversations about sort of ripple effects and what happens when we touch other people's lives and what does that mean? So um, I think that's all I had to say. That's beautiful. Yeah. Good stuff. Thanks again. All right. Well, that's a great place to end today, I feel like. Thank you for all your comments. Um, always a great discussion about these matters. Um, next week, we shall reconvene in the Holy of Holies. I'm kidding about that, but the sanctuary. <laughs> this has been church, right? I mean, this what just us going back to the building, you know, obviously changes some things, but this has been church for us. And um 18 months of meeting, you know, just virtually, the virtual component will continue in the sense that there will be a virtual, you know, the Zoom option will be, you know, provided on Sundays still for those of you unable to make it, but we will reconvene next week. And I'm hopeful about that, hopeful about the future. Um, yeah, thanks for being here, everybody. And uh, again, on Saturday, join us at 1030 if, uh, if you would like uh, at, the, at the building, take an hour for us to do some Christmas decorating, hang some wreaths and um, yeah. Um, thanks again for being here. Uh, go in peace friends. And we'll see you soon. Bye Aaron. Bye. 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 Okie doke. See you guys later. See you later, guys. <laughs>